Hello, this is Chet Spartor, Trooper Designate TI-13575. I never listen to the Order 66 podcast, and I sure as heck don't like that them there guy named TK421. My goodness gracious, you tell me where you be, boy, I'll tell you where it's at, and we meet where we too. Woohoo! Hello, this is Master Silverback, King of the Apes, calling in with a special message just for TG and Chris. Congratulations on the pregnancy, guys. It's a great thing to be a parent, and you're going to love it. Now, I'm not listening to the podcast week to week. I've been working my way through the back episodes, and I'm up to episode 93. So, for all I know, you've had this kid already. But I wanted to call in and give you an important suggestion as an experienced parent. Name your kid Silverback. Silverback is a great name for a boy or a girl. I mean, think about it. Just, just listen to the flow. Silverback. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's the perfect length. It's got a beautiful flow to it. It even has silver in it, which is not only one of the most beautiful metals, it's a precious metal, so it will signify to everyone how precious your little child is to you. And as I mentioned, works for a boy or a girl. Imagine little Silverback spiking that ball after his first peewee football touchdown, or little Silverback coming home after her first day of kindergarten to greet you with her open arms. Little silverbacks, little feet pitter-pattering around the house. How could that be any more beautiful? And since it is such a beautiful name, even though it's not very common, if you name the child silverback, I will not assume in any way that it is a reference to me. That would be stupid and egotistical. So just think about that. Name your child silverback. And, I mean, the road is good. The road to the future is going to open for that kid, let me tell you. Talk about an impressive name. And in the meantime, I will not be listening to the Order 66 podcast. Good luck. Execute Order 66. This episode of the Order 66 podcast brought to you our Brought to you by our sponsors, GoDaddy.com and Buy.com. Lord, it's a miracle! Somehow, Ustream decides that when we start the show, it will start working. I mean, I kid you not. We've been fiddling with, with Ustream for half an hour. And all of a sudden, it decides to work. So, Ustream, you've gotten uh, nominated for some kind of a Webby Award. Well, <laughs> you ain't getting my vote. You're a dog. Heck no. Yeah. Anyway, welcome back to the Order 66 podcast, episode number 102 for Sunday, April 25th, 2010. I'm GM Dave, one of your hosts, and 
We have a great show lined up for you today. This is Sunday morning, by the way, because, well, we just have scheduling issues. And so thank you to all 15 or so of you that actually wound up in the chat room on this early Sunday morning. So I'll let the other cast members introduce themselves, and we'll start with Jim Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? It is I, GM Chris, and we are coming at you. <laughs> okay. Is anyone else hearing that? No. What's that? What's what? I don't know. We seem, I don't hear anything. Do I need to uh, cue the Benny Hill music? Ustream is giving me this ad that's coming up about Macy's, and I'm hearing <laughs> it in my headphones. That's weird. It, well, it's creeping me out. I think you <laughs> should. I think you should probably mute your Ustream. That's, it is muted. That's what I'm thinking. That's just weird. Yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah, that was you, wasn't it? No. I didn't hear it. So why would only you hear it? <laughs> I think I'm going to kill the chat. I'm just going to do that. That is just it's, so weird. Just, it's killing me. See now, you I know. hate you, Ustream. Not, not only has uh. Ustream, <laughs> not only has Ustream totally screwed us up, but they've totally screwed us up. Completely and yeah. horribly. Yes. Yeah. So. Oh dear. Well, anyway, I, I am GM Chris, and uh, for those of you who may be tuning into this program, if we can call it that, for the very first time, uh, Ustream screw ups and all. Uh, this is the Order sixty six podcast, the only podcast it's entirely devoted to Star Wars Saga Edition role playing, and uh, we're happy to have you guys on. Yeah. Because yeah. Because that's yeah. the way we roll right there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, joining me are the lovely dulcet tones of the magnificent Twi'lek goodness. Hello, everybody. I don't have anything clever to say today. It's early. <laughs> Bear with me. <laughs> it is early. Yeah, and now, see, and now, as if, as if on cue, now Skype is starting to... Uh, to be stupid, so uh, you know, it's just it's, odd. It's it's oddness, but that's that's okay. So, dude, I broke my foot. Yeah. Yeah, there was this chair in our living room. Made some mean comments about his mom, so he kicked it. Nice. nice. Yeah, the chair won that fight, though. Obviously. Yeah, I still kicked its ass, though. To be quite frank. It's, it's more so, like kicked its leg, not it's, so much okay, the ass. It's so embarrassing. It's like, you know, dude, how'd you break your foot? You know, like, oh, yeah, you know, I, uh, I was kicking the ass of some guy who was trying to mug a busload full of orphans, you know, and I, you know, I broke my foot or, you know, no, that doesn't work, you know, or, yeah, man, I, I, I got into a car wreck and broke my foot when I was racing my, uh, my, my brand new Corvette down, a, you know, a narrow country road against, you know, Vin Diesel in exchange for, you know, a million dollars. You know, it, it doesn't. It just doesn't work to say you, you know, were getting up to let the dog out and just moronically half asleep whacked your foot against the <laughs> foot of a chair. It doesn't. You were trying to watch TV instead of where you were walking. <laughs> okay, so. Yeah. So it hurts. But I have hydrocodone, and that makes it better. Oh, <laughs> see, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Right there. Right there. Right there. That's all you need. It, you know, it, it could have, had you been a little bit younger, I bet your bones would have been strong enough to withhold that kick. Just saying. <laughs> Being Thanks. that you're an old man and all. <laughs> At least it wasn't your hip. 
That'll probably happen on your 40th birthday, though. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, you know. His 30th birthday, he breaks his toe. On his 40th, he breaks his hip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. It's all right, man. Make up a good story. And then add 4-2 on the end of it. 4-2. Four 4-2 two. Four two always makes the story better, right? That's right. 4-2. For, for for, two. For two. Um, personally, I'm going with the, uh, you know, Kicking the ass of a of a mugger trying to you know jack up a, a bus full of orphans and nuns. I think that's my my. Just don't say jack up. Okay. That doesn't sound right. Yeah, prob- probably not. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hey, your co-host invitation is open, by the way. I closed the chat because it was giving me uh, oh those strange sounds. Oh well. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah. It was just it's just an ad that you have to live through and then and then it goes away. I know, but it comes through on my hair phones and when it does I can't hear anything any of you say. Oh. Nice. Okay. Yes. Well, so now that we got those announcements out of the way, we can do this. Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisition. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. Yes. Beautiful segue to DG, by the way. Well, it's just fitting coming from a beautiful person. Oh, Though, and she's yeah. modest too. Well, Always. There's so few Always. of us. <laughs> there really are, Dave. There really are. Yeah. I know. Oh, man. Speaking of few. Few? There's only a few left. In the future. Yeah, few in the future. Few in the future. All right, right? Gamer Nation. Meanwhile. <laughs> Meanwhile, I know. Featured podcast of the week. Okay, so for those who have not heard, um, one of the older established podcasts on the D20 Radio Network. Dave, were they, like, were they number three or number four? I can't remember if Meanwhile was up first or Game On. I think Game On was... But, yeah. But still, I mean, this is yeah. one of the one of the OG podcasts on the D twenty Radio Network. One of the guys who's been with us since darn near the very beginning. Uh, meanwhile, the Super Gaming Podcast is hanging up its cape and tights uh, due to some personal reasons. Mostly, Joe has decided to retire the show, and quite frankly, he has gone out with a bang. Uh, episode twenty nine, Icons, is out. And Joe toes the line with legendary Steve Kenson to discuss superhero RPG history and really delve into Steve's brand new project, Icons by Adamant Entertainment. It's a new, like, fate-inspired supers game. It's due out in May. And people are heralding this thing as the reincarnation of the, the classic Marvel superhero system we all know and love. Um, eagerly anticipated, Joe gets the dirt from Steve himself. So don't miss this epic episode that is a fitting end to meanwhile. The, so. Yes. And so we've lost another podcast. Mm. Now we're back to 19 again. But we knew about this one. Yeah, we knew about so, this one. And, and Joe's dropping cryptic hints there might be an episode 30 just so he can get it to 30, some big epic show, but it might be a little ways off. So, yep. if, if at all. If at all. And, uh, TG, 
Aside from this amazing podcast, where can our listeners find it, along with all the other 19 shows, 20 shows currently, that are on the D20 Radio Network? Ustream. No. No? No. Uh, Ustream. Ustream burns in hell. You go to hell and you die, Ustream. Ah! I hate you, Ustream. I hate you. Google.com? Yes, Google.com. Awesome. I'm so smart. <laughs> Yep, so much, happy you're happy. So much for that, Annie. Uh, thanks a lot for listening, guys. Yay! <laughs> wow. You guys can find all of our podcasts at www.d20radio.com. Wow. Wazoo. Just wow. And she didn't even pick it up. She made the joke and then didn't get on with the announcement. That's what I really I know. Don't. That's what I, yeah, that's what I, I don't understand that. I, it's because I, I'm laughing too hard. I just don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Nothing, nothing, nothing quite says it like someone who's being funny laughing at their own joke. I'll tell you what. I know. We got to do more Sunday morning cast. Yeah. <laughs> tell you what. Wow. Oh, I'm crying over here. I'll I'm tell laughing. you what. Oh. <laughs> Well, okay, come down. <laughs> um, I, I just, I just need to say that uh, according to your show notes, that uh, the the saga, the last book of the saga system released on May twentieth, and and that I'm guessing be, that, that was April. Mistake. Yeah, that I'm be, guessing yeah. that was April twentieth because the book uh, came out on Tuesday. Yeah, the unknown regions is utterly amazing. If you have not picked up this tome of greatness yet, run, do not walk to your FLGS or if you really want to your nearest bookstore and get your copy now. Word. This book is phenomenal. I am utterly blown away. Um, but we'll, we'll have an episode devoted to that. But uh, yeah, hey man, last book in the system. Go get it, guys. Go get it. It's a piece of history. It's it worth it from what you've told me. and it's, it's got a lot of really... <laughs> Really good stuff in there, dude. I'm amazed at everything that is in this book. I mean, it went out with a bang, to th- say the least. To say the least, yes. Um, totally blown away by it. Totally, totally, to- totally blown away, man, man. So, also, we got some juicy bits of web goodness for you today. Uh, uh, Patrick Stutzman is back, bringing us message to Spacers Eight and the Crusader class Corvette. Um, this is a crazy ship. Uh, it's by far, I think, one of the fastest capital ships in the game. Um, it's got like a speed of like four squares starship scale, and that's faster than some fighters. Okay, um, it is it is bristling with weapons and wicked attack options. It's just an utter beauty. Uh, great for a campaign, and you can find it right now at www.wizards.com/starwars. Yes. Cool. So, so May twentieth, the actual something actually is happening on May twentieth, Dave. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I'm super uh-huh. excited about this. Yeah, uh-huh. ReaperCon. Yay! Oh, dude. Why, why are you going? Eh. No, I'm going. Yay! I'm, okay. Dude, I'm so excited about ReaperCon. I can barely see straight. Yeah, me too. I already signed up for classes. I'm so excited. Yes, yes. yes. Well, but well, I couldn't sign up for too many because then it would interfere with 
all of the painting time that I would do. This is true. Why is Reaper Kong going to rock? Tell us. Well, for many reasons. But for one very important reason is that Order 66 and Radio Free Homelet will be there running games galore, as well as a couple other of the hosts at uh, the D20 Radio Network. So, be cool. If you go to reapermini.com, see, I know that website. Mm-hmm. You can find out more. And if you guys would like, are going to be going to ReaperCon and you would like to reserve a seat at an RPG table, perhaps one of mine, uh, you can head to reapermini.com slash ReaperCon pound sign RPG. And you can actually reserve a seat at a table for the low, 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 low price of $1. And uh, I know my games are filling up, man. So there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of great stuff going on. Very exciting. Yeah. Cool. Well, also, uh, June 23rd through the 27th, Origins 2010, Columbus, Ohio, and uh, D20 Radio's own Vader's Son will be running four games of Saga. And uh, it's always promises to be good at Origins. You can find out more at www.originsgames.com. Yep, and then sadly we won't be there, but Gen Con will be in August. They've made it early August this time, 5th through the 8th, of course in Indianapolis. And like we've said before, badge and room registrations are open. And you can just go to GenCon.com. And don't forget the Gary Gygax Memorial Auction. I'm so angry I'm not going to be there. I want to own a piece of Gygax. No, really, like a piece, like a finger bone or something. Maybe that's in bad taste, but I no, think that is that is in bad taste. You know, if you own a piece of RPG, then you own a piece of Gygax. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Thank you, Yoda. Yes. Oh, very nice, very nice. Well, normally we'd be saying we're going to Luke Lobrow at this point, but we didn't get a Luke Lobrow this week. Aww. Or last week. I wonder. I hope. I hope he's okay. I know, man. Either either GM Dan is in the hospital or he's slacking. What's up, Dan? <laughs> I, I choose to believe that he's There's slacking. no other option, right? I believe that the slacker. Total slacker. Uh, I'm going with the slacking. I mean, quite frankly. I mean, dude, you know, we, we count on you to make us laugh, and what happens? We're stuck with TG making Google jokes. It doesn't work. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, it's, yeah, you're right. It doesn't, it, it doesn't, it's just not as, I don't know, it's not as powerful. Yeah. It's still funny, but not as powerful. Do you see the impact you're having on the show, Dan? See, really? What he says is that his Apple is in the shop, and so he can't have GarageBand. Well, you know, if you join the rest of the world, the 82% of us that have PCs and aren't dependent on this dilapidated technology known as Apple. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> Hang on. I want, I want to tweet that on my iPhone. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So anyway, we'll hear from our uh, our friendly uh, TK421 here in about, uh, well, how about now? Barbecue. It's wise never at his post. It's time for tailgating with TK421. Why, Holzer, this here is TK421, and I'm coming to you live from the tailgate of my speeder right here at the 12th Annual Imperial Track and Field Competition. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, there, there ain't too much tailgating going on here, but, uh, 
That don't stop me none. No, no, sir. I'm right here finding any excuse to pull that barbecue in the cooler. Woo! This morning's been kind of slow, but I did get an unexpected visitor at my tailgate. The one that left me a bit nervous, I don't mind telling you. I was just pulling the first of the bantha ribs off the grill when an Imperial commander comes walking up. Kind of nervous guy, but still in full dress uniform, and I don't mind telling you, it's hot out here. But this fella, he was pretty cool. After carefully inviting him over for a rib and some cold brew, he undid his collar and sat with me for a spell. Soon found out this fella's name was Commander Tian Jergerod. Uh, Jared Gerard, uh, yeah. Now I says, I knew I'd known you from somewhere. Old Jerry used to work in logistics and supply. Helped me out one time, requisitioned some medical supplies after, an unfortunate incident with a hot tub. But old Jerry was all depressed and nervous. Told me the Emperor himself just gave him a new assignment. I says, shoot, man, that's great. What you gonna be doing? He looks at me all funny and says he's directing some type of Imperial Energy System. Now, old TK-421 wasn't born yesterday, no sir. I know it's a cover story when I hear one, and the Emperor himself giving that kind of assignment must be something really big. You know, I've been hearing rumors that the Empire's doing the building of another one of them Death Stars after them Rebels done blowed up the last one. Maybe Commander Jerjerod, uh, J J Jerry here has, has been tapped to head up the construction. Kinda odd choice if you ask me. You ain't exactly the ambitious type. Some of the rumors I heard about them egos of the commanders on the last Death Star. <laughs> Maybe old Palps is tired of ambition. <laughs> uh, the commander here is a competent fella, but a little bit nerdy, if you know what I mean. So I wished him well, gave him a cold one for the road, and a proper salute. He's an officer, after all. We Imperials got us some decorum to maintain. So here's raising a glass for you, Commander Jared Gerard. Commander, wherever you're. Hope you don't get blowed up! And if you'd like to meet Commander Tion Jared Gerard, you can too. Right now at the D20 Radio Forums. This here's TK421. Reminding you hosers to stay at your post. Keep the charcoal hot, and remember, you never know who you're going to meet at a good down-home tailgate. Why nice. do we have to listen to him? He's a moron. He can't even say Gerard correctly. Well, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't uh, fault the man for his speech impediments, you know, or, or, I would. A, or accents. Uh, um, you know, obviously, I mean, he does do certain things very well, target practice being one of them. Um, Not funny. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Moving on before you had to sleep on the couch tonight. D20 docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Okay, so before we go on, because of the nature of our show, most of the time yeah. we're in the evening, and we don't get a lot of listeners from our European 
uh, friends. And we do have several in the chat room because it's in the middle of the day out there. Correct. So they're asking, what is tailgating? Tailgating is a uniquely American thing. Like, uh, let's say before you go to your football match, do you guys barbecue in the parking lot, say, at Wembley or, you know, if I don't know, uh, whatever the stadium is or your particular uh, footballers play before the match? I'm sure you do. And that's what we call tailgating. It, the old the old adage is that uh, you'd set up a little portable barbecue grill on the tailgate of your truck, and you'd sit there and eat and whatever. Drink, and drink beer drink and beer, get yeah. totally hammered before you go in to watch the game. Right. So, exactly. So, if you guys are out getting ready for your Manchester United game, then, well, actually, they won yesterday. I think Chelsea plays today. So, anybody out there watch, getting ready to watch Chelsea than just, you know, whatever. Yes. You'll be tailgating Uniquely American tradition, but I swear, it, like, it, it's evolved to the point in this country that tailgating is almost a sport. Yeah, barbecue is a sport. Yes, but I mean, just a bunch of sports fans gathering outside the stadium to just totally, I mean, half the time, these folks won't even go in to see the game. They don't have tickets. Oh. <laughs> no. uh. Now, it's gotten to the point, too, where a lot of the big stadiums will charge you extra if you're tailgating. So if you're going to tailgate, you have to pay special fees in order to do that in their parking lot. It used to not be like that because it used to be, you know, a cheap version to be at the game but not actually have to pay to be in the game and still enjoy food and drinks and all that jazz. Yeah. I mean, but it's strange. It's it's fun, but it's strange. I was at the, the Rangers opener um, just here a couple weeks ago uh, with a bunch of friends and uh, you know, we got there three hours. That's baseball. Before, that's, that's, that's American baseball, folks. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, we got there three hours before the first pitch, you know, just to to pop down the tailgate on a truck, open a couple coolers of beer, and grill. And, you know, I mean, it, it's crazy. People walk up. You meet people. You meet friends. You meet fans. It's just it's just another, yeah, it, it's, ta- it, it's tailgating. Google it. Yeah. So R2D Toots, um you're screaming against Chelsea. Who's who's your particular team, by golly? We've got at least five countries represented in the chat room. We've got England. We've got Scotland. We've got Germany. We've got Poland. Norway. I know. I know. Uh, was in there. Uh, Hungary. Of course, the USA. Duh. So, oh, West Ham United. All right. Hey, I watched the West Ham game last week. As a matter of fact. Okay, so, never mind. And, of course, Canada. So we've got like nine countries in the chat room. That's awesome. Uh, this is impressive. I'm really happy. I'll, now, you know. now did, didn't we get a question from another country? Uh, from maybe Australia? we did. Yeah, we did, actually, from the GM of the land down under. Nice, nice. Yeah. See, that's how you bring us back on task. It's, that's what she's good at. Yeah. Okay, okay, great. All right, GM of the land down under, ask a question. And uh, this uh, says, quite frankly, that my head is spinning. And he says this. Can the block talent be used to block a whirlwind attack made with a melee weapon? Because I just found out that repost can be used against attacks that make area attacks like whirlwind. Repost. Repost. Well, yes, my good Aussie friend. Uh, yes, it can. Uh, you can uh, uh, deflect uh, certain area attacks with blasters, and you can block area attacks with melee weapons. Uh, the description of Whirlwind Attack, page 89 of the Saga Edition Core Rulebook, calls out that it is indeed a melee area attack and follows the area attack rules. Easy. 
But here's the kicker. Following the area attack rules, just like deflecting auto fire that hits, if you succeed on the block, you still take half damage as long as the attack actually hits you. So, so there you go. Easy. Easy peasy, right? Easy peasy, rice and cheesy. Next. Beautiful. So, our mace, our maze, our mayas, our mais. <laughs> Whatever the hell your name is, um, you have a, a, an underhanded question. Is there any equipment that you can recommend to grant a bonus to gambling rolls? A similar question. How do you use deception in a gambling contest? Sex in advance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so somebody wants to bilk the house or a GM wants to bilk his players, basically. Uh... <laughs> I like this. Yes, likey. Me likey. Uh, as a quick refresher, Gamer Nation, the basic gambling rules are found on page 47 of the Saga Edition Core Rulebook. And aside from games of pure chance, they just boil down to a basic wisdom check. And there's not a lot that you can do to modify that, frankly. Uh, certainly not with equipment. Uh, the only thing you can use to modify it at all is increasing your wisdom score. Or using the Gambler Talent, page 46 of the Saga Edition Core Rulebook, uh, which gives you a plus two bonus to your wisdom checks when gambling, and it can be taken multiple times. How about the plus two lightsaber of greater gambling? No. Um, unfortunately, that's only uh, in my home game. Damn. Yep. Just saying. Now, there is equipment that can help you cheat at gambling. Woohoo! Which is a bit different. And cheating is how deception is used while gambling. Cheating with deception, sir, those rules are found on page 19 of Scum and Villainy. And I'm not going to go through it all, but in a nutshell, you end up replacing your normal wisdom check with a deception roll that is now opposed by your opponent's roll, whether that be a basic wisdom check if you're gambling against them, or another deception check if they're trying to cheat you, um, or against a set DC for certain house games. But when you do this, the house and or the opponent you're playing with gets perception checks with bonuses to notice you cheating. And if you fail against that, then you're caught. Uh, and that, that can be very, very bad. Now, as for equipment goes, there is one option. The cheater upgrade from Scum and Villainy, page 40, uh, specifically gives you a plus two equipment bonus to deception checks to cheat when playing Sabak, specifically Sabak. So what is this equipment? How I mean, is it a deck of cards? It can be whatever. It, it's an upgrade that can be applied to just about anything. Um, the, the classic Star Wars trope is, is what they called a skifter. Because in, in Sabacc, in, in the books, the cards are like electronic, and they will actually randomly reorder themselves and turn themselves into new cards, depending on conditions. So a skifter is something that uh, a piece of equipment that Oh, like, it's, it's, traditionally, it's, a, it's a, a cheater card that you insert into the deck that, you know, the, in your hand that creates itself into the card you want it to be, basically. But as far as the cheater upgrade, you can put it into a data pad or uh, you know, a, a code cylinder or anything else you have with you that can still electronically influence the outcome of those cards. So. Cool. Very good. Very good. Plus two damage to lightsaber. Yes. No. no. Okay, Darth GM has a question about backgrounds. Mm, good, this is a good question. So he says, I'm considering using the character background option 
in an upcoming campaign. And I was reading over the occupation section of that option. It says that in addition to getting one of the relevant skills for a particular occupation added to your class skills list, you receive a plus two competence bonus to untrained skill checks with the other skills on that list. Now, do they mean you have to remain untrained in those skills to receive the bonus, or do they mean you get the bonus when you use the skill for one of its untrained uses, like balancing for acrobatics but not moving through opponent squares with acrobatics? If it's the former, what happens if you pick a background and want all the skills in that background trained? I especially see an issue with celebrity and scoundrels. All the skills for celebrity are very handy, deception, gather information, persuasion, and a celebrity scoundrel could conceivably train in all those, eliminating that benefit from choosing the background. That character loses a good game benefit by taking that path. Sure, it's a choice, but it's a, is it a fair and balanced one? If it's the latter, it's a nice boost for a skill you're not focused in, but could get a little unwieldy to remember it all. And in either case, what about mechanics? Is the plus two bonus wasted because there are no untrained skill uses for mechanics? Sex in advance for two, folks. Oh, dear. <laughs> really? Really. <sighs> I love you, Gamer Nation. Oh. oh. <clears throat> well, this is a good question, Darth. Um, to start, your first imp- interpretation is correct. Okay, now, the background mechanics, which we covered way back in episode 75, Tell Me About Your Mother, um, are, are found in the Rebellion Era Campaign Guide. And in a nutshell, they let you replace the destiny system with the ability to give your character a background that centers around a previous career or planet of origin or like a defining event in your past. And they're for generally pretty cool. Um, now, the career option, as you mentioned, gives you several benefits based on the chosen career, not the least of which is adding a skill to your class list, if it, if it wasn't there already, and giving you a plus two circumstance bonus, bonus in um, other skills that you're not trained in. Well, as I said, your first interpretation was correct. If you train in the skill ever, you lose the plus two bonus. Uh, that's, that's just the way it is. Um, you know... Career backgrounds, they, they grant you bonuses to certain career-oriented skills. Okay, like celebrity, obviously, is going to, you know, those, those skills would be deception, gather info, and persuasion, things like that. Um, but at the point you become trained in a skill, you have gone beyond what a mere circumstantial bonus can ever hope to provide. Okay, now this does mean that a celebrity career will probably be wasted on a social noble or a social scoundrel. But what it will do is help that rough-and-tumble soldier or scout, more than likely. This doesn't make the system broken. What it does do is encourage people from one background to fall into a radically different class progression, um, being haphazardly ripped from your old life and thrust into something new and different, which, when you think about it, is a really good crux of character development in the Rebellion era specifically. Um, as for the mechanics skill, no. There are no direct mechanics checks that you can make untrained. But you can still aid a mechanics check untrained, my good man. And with a plus two to that role as well, with the right background, that's not a bad thing. Yep. Does this make sense, guys? I, I know some people are a little, a little confused by the background system, but, uh, I mean, 
I've seen other things too. I've seen as a house rule that even if you're trained, you still get the plus two bonus, but it doesn't stack with skill focus. So if you become focused, you lose the plus two bonus. I've seen that house rule too, you know, and I think I, that's fitting. But yeah. I think it makes sense because essentially your background is giving you a circumstantial bonus in certain situations. It makes sense. Right. And, but if you go so far as so, to actually train in a skill and become an expert trained in it, I mean, do you think you should reasonably get any circumstantial bonus at all? Maybe. I think you can argue both ways. I yeah. really do. Yeah, I can see it both ways, too. I, I can. But if you don't like this ruling, I highly recommend the house rule that you, you go ahead and add this plus two circumstantial bonus, even if you're trained, but it, that goes away if you're skill-focused. Right. So... Yep. You know, basically change it from a circumstance bonus to, I believe, a competence bonus, which is what skill focus provides. So. Sounds good. There you go. Okay, and uh, we'll wrap up with Rebel Hank. Rebel Hank sends us this. He says, hello, Order 66. That would be us. I'm hoping you can help me out with a question. I play a Jedi lightsaber master in my brother's campaign. And when I figured out that charge was only a standard action, I started to charge, then withdraw to get myself out of danger. Eh, munchkin. But my brother, the GM, has been giving all his NPCs this feat from the KOTOR book called Withdrawal Strike, which makes it so I can't withdraw and get an attack of opportunity from the guy I'm walking away from. Bigger munchkin. I need to find a way around this. Any ideas? Thanks, and I don't listen. Well, here's your first thing. Don't munchkin. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, rant forthcoming. But do you guys, I mean, just, just from a cursory knowledge of the rules, do you guys see any problem with Hank's tactic to begin with? Aside from the munchkinism. Aside well, from charge the... ends your turn. Yeah. Ba-bum. So after you charge, you can't do anything else, even if it is a standard action. You have to take your other actions first before you charge. Right. And give the woman the cigar. Booyah! Right. Yes. There, Hank, the, that, that's the first issue. Both you and your GM need to read the errata. Okay, it can be found for free at www.wizards.com slash Star Wars. And as TG alluded to, there has been a change to the charge mechanic, Hank. After you charge, it ends your turn. No Just, additional actions, none. And the errata was made for munchkins like you, Hank. Precisely. Uh, this means you cannot withdraw after charging. Anyway, so no, there is no way around that problem. I'm sorry. The smelly Limburger cheese of the charge withdraw can no longer happen. Now, having said that, Hank, um, if you have a noble in the party, hey, maybe convince them to take some of the higher-end noble talents or even advance into the crime lord class and take the impel ally talents which would allow them to grant you a move action hopefully before your target strikes um i'd also like to draw your attention to the deft charge feat uh, rebellion era campaign guide page 28 which lets you take swift actions free actions and reactions after a charge uh before the end of your turn uh but it still won't let you withdraw but it will at least let you do something okay now having said that it's soapbox time Oh boy! Okay. Here Hank, we go. Hank, Hank, I know. Okay, I'm. Hank is munchkining. Okay, so what? But th that's a player constraint. I have a bigger issue with this guy who's his GM. Okay, Hank. 
I know this GM is your brother, and I know brotherly relationships can be, quote-unquote, interesting, okay? I have no clue how old you guys are, okay? But I'm just going to say this. What your brother did to handle that situation is crap, okay? It is crap. And you know what? And brother GM, I hope to God you are listening to me right now. Having the occasional NPC or BBEG with withdrawal strike in the manner that you have done is not unexpected, and it can throw a nice tactical wrench into an entrenched player's battle strategy giving rise to fun, creative thinking at the table. But if you're giving withdrawal strike to every single NPC this group encounters, are you fracking kidding me? That is blatant metagaming crap from, from the GM of all people. From the GM. Why don't you just slap a big sticker on the game table that says, hey players, screw you! Okay, it's wrong, dude. It's just wrong. Don't do it. Okay, regardless of the fact that the tactics Hank has been using are illegal per raw, you have the ability as a GM to creatively challenge any win button combo in a player's repertoire in ways that don't involve screwing them over in this fashion. Shame, GM. Shame. How how about how about ranged attackers with elevation? How about threats with reach? How about baddies that close with Hank's character before he can charge? Huh? Huh? How about not metagaming the system in such a base, uncreative way? Huh? I'm just... Oh, it frustrates me so much. This GM negated an entire character option. And I've seen it done before where somebody takes a feat or a talent that allows something similar. And all of a sudden, you're, you've, you've totally destroyed that character choice. That is a wasted talent and feat. Now. It just... Oh, it frustrates the living piss out of me. Um, yeah, we can tell. Apparently. Yeah. Apparently. Well, here's the thing is, shouldn't the GM create a character based off of that character's background? I mean, why would a character actually have that feat? Why would an NPC actually have the, uh, this feat? Well, you know they, what I'm they would have it in you know, limited instances, but every NPC wouldn't. Yeah, th- th- exactly. Th- that's the key. And, you know, when we had Sterling on last week, we had this this brief discussion came up because we talked about, you know, at, at what point do you draw the line between metagaming and to, to the opposite end of the coin, you know what, if this is a party that's being hunted by somebody or watched by somebody, it's, oh, wow, this guy charges and uses withdrawal a lot. I need to protect myself against that and train when I fight them. It's reasonable to assume that somebody might take withdrawal strike. Okay? Um, but, again, somebody, not everybody. Right. Uh, uh, Zappy says that Germany has just closed its borders to you for that rant. Yeah, wouldn't be. The, <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. God. So, anyway, I I hope that helps Hank. Um, I I obviously your, your tactic is is not possible to begin with, but you know I understand he's your brother. It's not easy to take your brother aside and have a heart to heart player to GM talk because he's your brother. He'll probably just call you a tool and tell you to get away from him. Um, but play this podcast for him, okay? Play it and let me chew him out. And GM, if you're listening, I'd love to hear from you. Email me, please. So, there you uh, go. Now, where where can he or others email me, Dave, if they are interested in perhaps sending us some questions for the docking bay? I don't know, Google. <laughs> <laughs> I don't sound like that. Okay. <laughs> no, you don't sound like that, sweetheart. Thank uh, you. <clears throat> that would be GM Chris at d20radio.com. Or, if we like goodness, at d20radio.com, or GM Dave at, t- at d20radio.com, or jump on the forums, or call the loser line. 
which is two zero six six hundred five eight seven two. LUSA. L-U-S-A. And, of course, D20 Radio Forums at d20radio.com slash forum. Of course. Of course. So we have something we haven't had in a while, which is... Really? When good games go bad. Nice. Fun. So I will set the stage with Stephen Pell from Grant City, Iowa. <laughs> I, I don't I, know I, if it's pronounced that way. Dave. I think I think it's pronounced Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the home of Captain James Tiberius Kirk. Yes. Okay. So I'm confused and angry, and I'm writing this only a couple of hours after our last session. So I'm still really angry, but I'll try to be objective about this in my retelling. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here we go. My game group has been playing this soccer game for about six months with our GM, a friend from college. Our group has me and two other friends from college, my friend's wife, a longtime gamer, and her sister, who had never gamed before, but the GM has a serious boner for her, so he let her in the group. (laughs) (laughs) I can already see where this is going. Okay. All right. Well, as long as she's hot, it's fine. Yeah. The five of us are fledgling Jedi. Well, see, that's what's wrong with it right there. It's all Jedi party. In Luke Skywalker's new Jedi order. Oh, never mind. And we've slowly been unraveling a plot where this dark Sith Lord is trying to resurrect Darth Nihilus and overthrow the New Republic. We just tracked down this Dark Lord's number one lackey to provide or to some private facility on Mustafar, and we get inside, and this massive fight happens. We do okay. In fact, we beat down the mooks pretty bad. Just then, these hidden doors open, and a bunch of creatures come out. The GM describes these as Mustafar firewolves or something. He told us later that he homebrewed them, and there's like 12 of them. And, oh, they're all super trained and loyal to the Darth Sith lackey, Dark Sith lackey. They're medium-sized creatures and that end up averaging like 30 points of damage per bite. And the, G- the, the GM was rolling 2d10s, and it's all fire damage that sets us on fire. God. For some strange reason, they have DR10 against lightsabers. So that makes sense. <laughs> wow. We try to flee, but the doors are now locked, and when my friend's wife's character tries to cut through one, she gets jumped by three or four of these firewolves before she can finish. Pretty soon, three of the parties down and unconscious, me, my friend, and the wife's sister, the new gamer. One remaining Jedi is badly hurt and trying to cut her way out of the room, but the last standing Jedi is doing okay and persuades the Sith lackey to try and come attack him. He's got his lightsaber raised and all that. The Sith doesn't do that, but pauses to stop and coup de gras my character and one of the other Jedis, my friend, while the wolves block off the survivors. Then he steps right over the fallen body of the new chick's character, doesn't touch her at all, and starts to fight the survivors. Oh, dear. (laughs) It went badly, and the two survivors ended up grabbing the body of the unconscious Jedi that didn't get coup de grade, the new chick, 
vital transferring her, and they escape. The GM is like, oh, well, you guys roll up two new characters for the next session. Well, what the crap is this? He pauses to kill us, even though we're down and not a threat, and leaves alive the character of the girl he wants to bang. I'm so angry. I don't know what to say to this guy. He's been my friend for four years, normally is a GM, but he's thinking with his... Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, just, just wow. Steven, words barely do justice. Um... <laughs> Well, the BBC okay, hold on. I'd like to announce hold on. that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. Thank you. Now, before you get into land, because it seems obvious how you can land bash this guy, I just want to present the alternative side of this. She, okay, these other guys that he killed have been playing for a long time. They, they're experienced players. For them to have a character killed and then hit, for them to roll up a new character, they're still going to want to play the game, right? She's never played before if the first time she plays or the first character she ever plays gets killed what's the chance that she's going to want to come back to playing again to playing rpgs again period well what's the chance she's going to want to come back and continue to be viewed and looked at by this gm who wants to bang her well that too that's probably part of his motivation but i'm saying it's not necessarily a bad thing that he did in order to keep to, to help bring one more person into the fold. I mean, he says they've been the playing this game for six months. The other two guys are already there. He says they've been playing this game for six months. Well, they've been probably been RPGing for a long time. I would assume they're experienced players. Yeah, but six months is a while, even for a new player. Yeah. Uh, it's maybe six games, on average, for most people. Uh, Dave, what do you think? Um, I think the GM is a bitch. <laughs> Okay, I mean, well, if then. you're going to coup de gras the Jedi, then coup de gras all of them? Or none of them. Or, well, that's or none my of them. thing. Yeah. Why did you do that? Yeah, well, why did they're, you coup de gras them at all? I mean, they're not, a, they're not a threat. I mean, yeah, okay, you're a Sith and all that. Okay, whatever. But, dude, I mean, dude, you know, there's a rule zero, and you just broke it. Bitch. What's your, what's, <laughs> I don't want to know what his name is, so we can, like, torch him. I, I don't. He didn't say. Um, but somebody but then, in Grant City, Iowa. Here's here's my thing. It's like, okay, why did you coup de gras them, GM? I, I don't I don't understand it. Okay, if it's you know what a what a nasty GM tactic. If I ever did that to one of your one of you guys' characters, and you all are, aren't exactly new players, okay, if you die in combat, okay. It happens. If you're down and there's other party members up threatening me and my, my NPC pauses to slit your throat intentionally, I make him do that, how are you going to respond to that? We would probably be extremely, extremely infuriated, extremely mad. There's other people you should be attacking. Now, if you were to do that, what I would expect from the GM in return is as you're, as this NPC's coup de growing the down players, the players that are still up essentially get an advantage it's either a circumstance bonus for watching their team members just get killed or they this guy has just wasted his whole turn coup de grind you so now the the up players get a a free attack on them basically without him you know just coming and attacking them something like well, that that would be you know that would be up to the gm who's already being a dickhead 
Right. So, you know, I mean, that's like, I don't know. If, maybe... if you're, if you're going to pause and say, wow, I think I'm going to do this nice thing for the party after coup de growing you, if you're, if you're responsible enough to come to that decision, I don't think you're going to be coup de growing the players to begin with. I disagree. <laughs> There's some circumstances where it is appropriate. That's what the NPC would do. Uh, it's but, what okay, they would do, now, now, but that, it that should is, be balanced. That is the crux of this of of what I really want to get there because you hit the nail on the head, TG. What the NPC would do, GMs, good GMs, like and should tell their players, play your character. What would your player do? It's an integral part of it. When you are GMing, you cannot take that point of view. You can't. You are not the NPC. You are God. <laughs> All right, you you have to let the players shine and be cinematic. It's not your responsibility to play the NPC. You can give them character, you can give them fun, but you should, in my opinion, you should always sacrifice NPC characterization in favor of what would be more fun for the players. Well, okay, Coup de growing a player, not in every case, is going to be what's not fun. It yep. makes for a no, Okay, think about when Jake was leaving our party, the, your alternate universe campaign. He wanted to die, but he wanted to do it in such a way that would be hugely cinematic. So if he was coup de grade, if he was in a situation where he got coup de grade, you would probably go ahead and do that, right? Because it would be you can't more fun just for say, the player. You, just, you can't just say that coup de gras is not what's going to be the fun option. No, but dicking your over your players like that, just because it's in character for the NPC, is not worth it. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, I can see where you might do it, maybe to prove a point or something. I, I don't know. I, limited instances, but I, I wouldn't coup de gras half the party. And okay, then and okay. then not do so, and then not and then not be, uh, I don't know. You know he's not okay. consistent. He he killed two of them and then he steps over another one. What's up? Well, and uh, TG's got a good point about you know if it's a new player. Okay, I hadn't considered that option. That makes sense. But do you think his attraction for her might also have played into yes, it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, he was yeah. hoping for a plus, wait, wait, wait. he was hoping for plus two in the get in her pants. Well, here's the thing, too, is we're also hearing this through the the filter of a guy who's pissed that his character got killed. This is true. This yeah, is very yeah okay. that's true. So he could be interpreting that this guy, well, he didn't kill her. Why wouldn't he, why wouldn't he kill her? Well, he must want to bone her. That's got to be why. Maybe they've had discussions about it, and the guy has outwardly said, I really like her. I wish I could get in her pants. But we don't know that because we don't know, you know, we don't know these people. Oh, maybe Stephen. Maybe Stephen wanted to date her, but she has resisted his advances, and Ooh. now is shacking up with the GM. Oh, <laughs> now we can make a soap opera out of it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you know, there could be other backstory here that we're not aware of. So just because we're hearing, just because he says that the GM likes her, if he really does, then yes. It clouded his vision. But if that's not the case, then the possibility is he just didn't want to kill a brand new player. Nope. Sex in advance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Dave on this one. Uh, <laughs> if so, the GM is a dude. 
Uh, he's thinking with the wrong head. That's it. If, if, if he's a single dude, he and I've seen it before, and so have you, TJ. Um, I, I've seen it before. If he's a single dude and there's a single chick at the table, as long as she's not totally fugly, he, yeah. You know, you even, know what? You even know if what she's about. not single. Yeah, that's I'm, that's true just, too. Because I, yeah, because I played a couple games at Gen Con the past couple years, and it's obvious I got wedding rings on, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you intentionally wear low cut shirts at Gen Con. Mm. Of course I do. If you got them, flaunt them, honey. Just saying. Mm, circumstance bonus. <laughs> exactly. That's what you call a plus two to charisma for boobage. <laughs> God. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you for that uh, When Good Games Go Bad, Stephen. Um, in terms of what you should do about this, you need to talk to your GM, pal. You need to sit down Ooh, privately pal, do you? away from anybody else. Don't call me pal, buddy. Um, Don't call me you need buddy, to privately chief. Away, can... away from everybody else. You need to get him alone. You do not need to mention that he may or may not have a boner for this Pick, okay, that will just make him pissed off and angry. You need to ask him how come you killed my character in a bitch way like that. No, and, no, and that is not, not what he needs to ask him. That is not at all what he needs to ask him. That's what I would ask him. No, because what all he's all that's going to do, and you know this, all it's going to do is make him defensive. Uh, if you want to get, oh, you're right. if you really want to get an honest answer from him, you need to go with him. Go to him. Not angry about the fact that your character died. You cannot go to him angry in any way because he will pick up on that. Even if you're trying your hardest not to show it, you honestly have to be okay with it. And you have to try before you go to understand maybe where he could be coming from. Be prepared for, well, maybe he just didn't want to kill a new character. Maybe... You know, maybe he felt like this was best for the storyline, and I'm not maybe aware of that yet. Well, or better okay. yet, just have the chick who he's wanting to bone go to him and say, "Hey, why'd you kill those two characters and not me? Do you just want to get in my pants?" Y'all are worse Great than idea. women. Y'all are worse than women. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's so deceitful. <laughs> like, go behind his back and. Yeah. No. Oh, oh. Okay. Okay. I'm. I'm a yeah. fan of. I'm a fan of honesty. And honesty I is mean, the best policy. I don't think he's going to take too much offense if you go to him with the truth, Stephen. Um, but sucky situation, bro. I feel for you, honestly. Anyway, yeah, roll can... up a new character and munchkin the hell out of it. Don't. <laughs> don't do that either. Take the high road. Wookie Jedi, great lightsaber. <laughs> Don't try it, GM. I have the high ground. I have the high ground. <laughs> oh, stop it. All right. Y'all are ridiculous. All right. Well, thank you very much, Stephen, for sending that in, by the way. We like good games go bad. We hadn't had one in a while. No, no. Um, especially when they're as juicy as this one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm, much juice. Much juice to be had. Dripping with weak sauce. Dripping. All right, so we'll stop down now for Alex and Trevor, Fragments from the Rim. And see you guys in about five minutes. Welcome, Jedi Masters, to Fragments from the Rim. How may we be of service to you today? Hi, this is Alex. 
And Trevor. This is segment number 47 of Fragments from the Rim. For this segment, I've chosen a talent from the book Galaxy of Intrigue. It's a scout talent from the Espionage Talent Tree scout. on page 22. It's entitled Keep It Together. The first part of this talent says, Whenever you are hit or missed by a melee or ranged attack... Well, let's just take a moment and go back and look at that again. Whenever you are hit or missed, so it doesn't matter which one, by a melee or a ranged, either one. So any time you're attacked with a melee or ranged attack, force powers won't count, persuasion skills and deception skills won't count, but all attacks, this talent goes off. That already tells me this talent is going to be kind of cool, because it is going to be used rather often. So, now, what happens? It says, you can move up to your speed as a reaction, provided that you end your movement adjacent to an ally. This movement does not provoke attacks of opportunity. The not provoking attacks of opportunity is rather nice. Yeah, you do have to end up beside one of your allies, but if you're smart about it, you could have this going off almost every single round. It could provide enormous amounts of movement, let you move all over the field, depending on how you use it. This is one excellent talent. Over to you, Trevor. Today, I want to talk to you about droids and followers and how the Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing game does an excellent job of managing them, both in terms of making it easy for the DM, GM, and making it easy for the player. Uh, simply put, if you uh, take the appropriate talents or feats, you can get followers, and if you have enough money, you can buy droids. And what's really nice is that they built a mechanic that you can see in the Scavenger's Guide for Droids or in the Clone Wars Campaign Guide on how to manage these followers. Um, basically, the way that it works is that you have to spend one of your swift move or standard actions to engage certain activities from the droid and or follower. And each droid and or follower takes one of those actions. So, for example, my wife, who plays a noble, who has a fair bit of cash, obviously, she owns two droids. Why does she own two droids? Well, because her combat, combat effectiveness is pretty much none. So what she does is she bought these two droids, and she follows the command routines from the scavenger's guide to droids and basically at the beginning of combat she tells with a swift action the one droid to attack a target and with another swift action she tells the other droid to basically defend her uh, using harm's way so en enabling the talent of the droid and then that leaves her still with either a move action or uh, standard action and this allows her in combat to be very effective. And what's nice is that it takes a noble who typically not, tends not to be great in terms of individual combat effectiveness and allows them to leverage another ability, which is their wealth, to own objects that allow them to do this. Uh, soldiers basically have a similar idea with the idea of, sol uh, of having um, additional followers, as do scouts. Now... What's really nice about this is it doesn't break the game in the fact that by adding two followers, two droids, uh, to one or more members of the party, you're not wasting a whole lot of time determining who's doing what and when and where because you don't, you now don't have to repeat the standard swift move standard for the person and for the followers. It's literally the person basically orders their followers around. And just like in real combat, if the sergeant is ordering his troops, 
He's spending all of his actions getting his troops to do the actions that are actually going to win the battle. He's not doing them himself. He's using his actions to get them to do what he needs them to do because they're specialists at what they need to do. So I think that the Star Wars Saga Edition game has done an excellent job of coming up with a simple, effective, efficient, intelligent, and balanced way of dealing with droids and followers Anyways, if you have any questions or comments, please uh, send Alex or I an email at order66 underscore fragments at rogers.com. And until next time, have fun gaming. Thank you, Masters, for visiting Fragments from the Rim. Ah, yes. I I will agree. I'm a huge fan of the way uh, the followers have been handled specifically with the command routines for droids. We had a request a little while back to do an sh- episode on this, and I, I know it's on the docket. So it's, it's, it's very awesome. Yeah. That's what they say. You know, hadn't heard for sure about that sort of thing, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that it's awesome. You've heard? I've heard, you know, you've heard that it's awesome. I know it's awesome. I've heard, yeah, things like, you know, all that. I've heard things like, and a bag of chips. Yeah, all that and a bag of chips. I mean, seriously. There's just, I don't know, dude. <sighs> Guys. Yeah, hey. Hey, how are you? Yeah, good. What's yeah. going on? How, how you doing, honey? What's, what's going on? Pretty good. I seem to recall that maybe we're recording a show about something. Oh, like... yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. So, the crunch, maybe? The crunch. Okay, sure. Why not? So, yeah. What a, what a, uh, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. I don't have my, I don't have my music, my normal music for it. It's weird. Oh. Aww. Oh, well, we'll, so sad. We'll deal. I know, it's well, terrible. TG, I'd like you to regale us with the tentative title for this uh, section of our meat of the show. Why? Because you know I don't believe in this statement. I know. That's why I want you to say it. Oh, everything's better in 3D. Whatever. (laughs) Not true. (laughs) So we got an email last month uh, from Kenzer Collector, uh, who wrote in with a simple but very important question that we felt warranted a proper talk. And he writes thusly, would one of you mind elucidating his letter? Dave, you do so well reading. Oh, boy. Okay. He says, Dear GM Dave, GM Chris, and TG. Hey, that's us. Hey, he said me. I've been a Star Wars fan since episode four released. Wow. I I mean, wow. Seriously? You've been a Star Wars fan since episode four released? Well, yeah, that was the first episode. That's pretty much when everybody who's been a Star Wars fan has been a Star Wars fan. I mean, that's like the beginning. That's not true. A lot of people were were born after the films were released, Dave. (laughs) But... Like... But... But... I was born after episode four released. Mm -hmm. Not episode five, but episode four. (laughs) Oh, really? Yes. Oh. All right. Fine. Oh, hey! Wow, I found it. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> Once again, the production quality of this show is, blows me away. Absolutely. Yeah, it's terrible, I know. Horrible, so, horrible. To continue with this guy's nice letter that he spent time pinning in. Okay. So, yeah, to continue with this guy's 
letter. Um, where was I? I've been a Star Wars fan. Oh, yeah, uh, since episode four, and I used to play West End games, role-playing uh, game back in the 90s. I haven't role-played in about 12 years, but discovered Saga Edition about six months ago, and I'm loving it. Da-da-da-da-da, I'm loving it. Okay, it kills me that this game I just discovered is about to not be produced anymore, but that didn't stop me from playing West End games long after expiration either. I'll admit, I'm a bit rusty. So I've been catching up on all your old episodes, and I've learned a lot about building an encounter, creating a campaign, and so forth. I'm jamming a game for friends, and we're having a great time, but I feel like I'm still missing something. I think my encounters are mechanically sound, but they don't feel epic enough to me. Maybe I just need some ideas to get my brain going, but I can't seem to get past creating encounters in a warehouse or on a ship or in a room. Hey, how about outside, pal? <laughs> how can I combine the mechanic or a bar? How can I me- combine the mechanics of a good encounter into a fun location that will leave my players breathless i i really want to uh, get the feel of star wars and remember the encounter afterwards any advice hey pal death star okay well okay no that's the thing you can be on the death star or in a bar or even outside and it can be boring and oh yeah sure sure i mean i think that might be the issue he's having but you need like you know floaty things and like caverns and you know the 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 epic drop to nothing with no handrail whatsoever exactly now okay there's this fairly regular segment on city of doors where they delve into these exciting locales and terrains and ways to bring it into your game and so in a similar vein today we're going to dig deep into the imagery of star wars to provide some color for your game palette so you got the right elements in your encounter the right threats but what about the right scenery Where can you put your PCs to make their jaws drop? And more importantly, how can you be sure to emphasize the features of that area during the encounter? So we are going to show you how to put the funky 3D glasses onto the heads of your players and make that encounter pop into life. Um, Because after all, everyone else is doing it, right? Everything's better in 3D, right? Oh, sorry. No, it's not. Everything's better in 3D. Everything is better than... Everything is better than 3D. (laughs) (laughs) So grab your game notebooks and that lift of a pair of 3D specs from the theater last night, and let's get busy. Let's get busy, boys. Let's get busy. So before we start this discussion, we need to talk about a basic precept. Um, Something I'm calling an encounter is a scene. So before we proceed, we need to clarify just what it is we're talking about and why it is so important to any Star Wars RPG. TG, why do we play Star Wars? Because we love it. Right. Well, because it's cinematic in this fake world far, far away. That's why. Whoa! Whoa, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You need need to stop fiddling with the music, pal. (laughs) Production value of this episode's going way down. Man. I know, way down. terrible. <laughs> Good God. It's Sunday morning. Welcome just, to episode just, three uh, of the Order 66 podcast. <laughs> we wanted any. <laughs> I don't bet know you, how. Bet you couldn't notice that. I bet you didn't know that. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, okay, dear. but the TG, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, like, I, lo- I play Star Wars because I like the cinematic vision that's been presented. It's like this this world that's been created by film and then continued through image-filled books and series and games and comics 
And I think playing to that that imagery is 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 key to why I like Star Wars role playing so much. And I think it's key to presenting the feel of Star Wars in my games. And I think most people would agree with that. You know, this is an exact sentiment that I can recall specifically Duncan Vaderson on our forums has discussed and has said before that what he loves so much about about the game is being able to create that Star Wars feel and world. Yes. Yes. Um, so in line with that, we want to set the precept that you should judge all of your encounters by. That an encounter is a scene. Okay? It doesn't get much simpler than that. An encounter is not just a combination of NPCs and attack roles. It is a literal scene from a Star Wars movie that you are telling with your group. And good scenes are usually at their most memorable due to the amazing locales in which they make place. In which they take place. Um, I mean, Dave, Dave, do you think Luke's discovery of the truth of his father would have been as impactful if the epic battle hadn't taken place over this endless precipice yawning down into a forever drop? Um, no. No. I mean, th- think, think of some of the other epic scenes from the Star Wars films. And Anakin of- and Obi-Wan, whenever they had their their fight down on the exploding they're, they're, lava planet. Their fight, fight down? down? I don't know what to call it. Whatever. The oh, showdown. Man. Their showdown. <laughs> That's the episode title. Fight downs in 3D. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh my. Oh my god. Fight down. <laughs> no, here, here's one. Fight down on the high ground in 3D. Yes, fight down on the high ground in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, but no. But to your point, that scene was incredible. Okay, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just these two Jedi duking it out. There was exploding lava everywhere, and ah! And the scene, the scene, the location was pivotable. Pivotable. Pivots. Pivotal. <laughs> All of a sudden, pivotal. I can't speak. Pivotal. 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 Only pivotal. The, only, the the pivotal. only the penitent. Only the penitent. To the story. If they had yeah. not been there, then Anakin probably wouldn't got half of his body. Burned off. Only the, penitent, only the penitent man will pass. Only the penitent man will pass. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, yeah. So it is extremely important. That locale, for story reasons, can add so much, and it imparts that cinematic feel. <laughs> so what? <laughs> the fight down. <laughs> the fight down. Yes. <laughs> oh god. So so let, let's let's delve into adding a proper locale to your fight downs. Um jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I think I think where your encounters take place is often a function of the story. Okay, you know, you can't well, it's going to be on Mustafar. Well, that makes no sense. We're on Tatooine, you know, the story. Okay. Uh, it, it, it's hard to have a rooftop grapple with an endless drop when you're on Mon Calamari, okay? Or struggle from treetop to treetop on the command deck of an Imperial Star Destroyer. You know, your your location is often going to be predetermined. You're not going to be able to monkey with it too terribly much. But what is important to know is that to build an epic locale, there are common themes that can bridge all these gaps and can take place in any location. Um, Except for bridges. Well, even, no, no. Even when done, when done right, bridges can work well. All right. (laughs) 
but I mean, general location features that can translate metal, wood, or rock. It doesn't matter where or what. So we're going to talk about three key elements to a, a wicked, awesome locale for an encounter that will add cinematic tension, drama, and impart a Star Wars feel to your players. Dave, talk to us about the first one. It's pretty simple. Height. Height. Yeah. So what, like like climbing up a ladder and fighting, or or, or what? I have a, I have the high ground. I have a, you know, I don't know. <laughs> you know, what what if you what if you're at the top of a building? What if you're, um, what if you are fighting? And you know what I said. What if you're fighting right next to this drop into absolute nothing from in Cloud City with no handrail and one exactly. one misstep or you get pushed back for for whatever reason is uh is a gat splat death by splat yes <laughs> very cinematic very tension filled what are some examples of the from the films we see of this dude Luke and his father of course all right you know. That that was that's that's easy, you know. He Class falls all the way down, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. Okay, what about uh, what about the, the sarlacc? You know, the dangling over the sarlacc pit. Absolutely. You know, uh, you, know you not might not go splat, but you will go crunch. Right. Um, well, um, what about what about even to some degree? What about Django Fett and Obi Wan? Oh, on yeah. that platform. On Camino, on, on Camino, yeah, and, you know, and dude, he, he fell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, I think of I think of Darth Maul's confrontation with Obi Wan and Qui Gon on uh, b- before before they got into that little bitty room. Uh, there was this endless catwalk expanse, you know, and they were pushing each other off of it and falling and catching, and it was you know there was no bottom in sight. Yeah, um, yeah. Very very cool. So. Key features of using height in a locale, okay? Two very important things. First of all, easy ways for a drop, okay? You got the height there. It needs to be dangerous enough to where people are going to really want to use it. You know, shoving people over the edge, using the force, banter rush, or some good old grappling. Just ask Palpatine about long drops and grappling. Um, (laughs) Not necessarily a good thing. But I think... And I'd like to hear you guys' opinions on this. I think there should usually be a way out of it if you do drop. Okay. Yes. A lower platform to grab onto if you make a good skill check. Um, a handy dandy waist chute to catch your fall. Uh, you know, a a rope left dangling by an NPC to grab onto. But I mean, I think these should often usually only be available to PCs. It's not very cinematic for the NPC to save himself unless they're going to be super recurring. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, agree? Agree. Agreed. Okay, so let's take this and put it into some actual game context for a sec. TG, regardless of, of where the encounter takes place, I think this height element can always be mat- be added to a scene. So let's go through some basic Star Wars areas um, that you're going to find on multiple planets, multiple places where you can potentially have your scene, have your encounter, and talk about how this element can be incorporated in. Talk to me about like a modern city in Star Wars. Well, that seems kind of easy. You're going to be on top of a building. Yeah. That's that's. Pretty simple. Or maybe a landing platform. I love that idea. Because, like, you know, like in Coruscant, this giant city planet with, like, mile-high skyscrapers, you have those landing platforms floating in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. 
I, I think I think that's just perfect. That's very very easy to do. Very easy. And if you're in, the only way you could have gotten there is if there's a ship. So then you've got ship that can provide cover or yes. all kinds of stuff. So add to the scene. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I'm if sure you, we get there though. Well, no, but you're you're absolutely right. I mean, if you're on a, if you're on a rooftop. Um, you know, I mean, you've got you can have like you know duct work and and outflow vents that can provide cover and concealment. Ships uh, on that landing platform, cargo crates that can be you know offloading goods and stuff like that. No, that's great. That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, okay. What about a forested or jungle area? Do you remember the few sessions we ran of the Dark Side game? Yeah. Do you remember the? On, on Kashyyyk, the Wookiee homeworld, do you remember the treetop battle? Sort of. I don't have a good memory, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, if you're in a forest or jungle area, treetops, it makes perfect sense. You know, if, you're, if there's a colony of, of some aliens that live there, some species that live there, it's likely that in a jungle that they're probably going to live in the rooftops and not on the floor of a jungle. Because that's much more dangerous. So there'll be buildings or platforms or something in the treetops. I like I like the idea of especially a, an undeveloped world, a heavily forested or jungled world. That in Star Wars, it's never stupid or a bad idea to throw in ruins. You know, yeah. oh look, an ancient Jedi temple slash Sith temple slash, <laughs> you know. Um, and you know, just uh, this this image, this you know Neolithic image of this uh, this just de- desiccated and decrepit rock temple jutting out just above the treetops. Um, really cool place for an encounter while keeping within the forested world. You know, uh, the crumbling roof of an ancient ziggurat. Uh, you know, things like that. Um, I, I really, really like that 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 concept. Very cinematic. Yeah, in a forest or jungle, it's not unheard of to have. Huge rocky outcroppings, or that's true mountains, mountains. and yes. so like a mountain crevice or something. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And provides great cover, and I mean, depending on where you go, within in the different layers of a forest or jungle, or uh, you've got different amounts of cover and light and visibility that add to the complexity of the scene. And if you're on a mountain or a rocky crevice, there's rocks. Maybe moss, maybe even a tree growing out of a crack or something. Yes. So there's plenty of ways to apply those encounter features, but you've got the threat of that height looming over you. It seems like one of the keys so far is is providing, well, maybe we'll get into this, but providing lots of props in the scene well, I for think- the players to take advantage. Of. Well, that, that's that's kind of not really because I mean we've covered well, that. Well, because the height. Well, the yeah, height of it. I mean, the height is something that the players can take advantage of, and like you were saying earlier. But I still think there... I still think you're thinking mechanically. I mean, the heart of, of of the guy's question wasn't so much you know what can I add to my encounters. It was where can I put my encounter. And well, putting it in the right location, making it memorable, is like you know, making it unique in a way to where the player it spawns the players to think creatively about how to use the environment around them and if they're trying to think about how to use the environment around them then they're thinking about the setting and that's what will make it memorable that's for a, them which is what will make it fun 
That's a good point. Okay, well, what about starships or, or buildings? Okay, so we're not outside on top of a building. We can't do that. We're stuck in a starship in deep space, or we're inside of a, inside of a building we can't get out of. What are ways we can impart the element of great height? Catwalks. Catwalks. I love cat. Well, you know that. I or, love catwalks. Yeah. Well, like stadium seating, you know, if you're in the, um, what is it? Oh, the Senate Hall. Yeah. Senate yeah. Hall, something like that. And you've got the little platforms that can come out and move around and create additional layers of height. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I, reactor cores, you know, that extend down for 100 feet. Uh, cooling chambers, things of that nature. I think there's plenty of ways to uh, to, to 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 get that to get that in. So, okay. Lastly, what about desert areas for height? Because this can be really tricky. Funky rocky that, outcroppings. Well, <laughs> potentially yes. Um, you know, even on Tatooine, there are like rocky mountainous areas. But it's rare that you're going to be in a desert. You're not going to be traveling by um, some kind of vehicle. So probably a land speeder, which is going to uh, hover. Uh, you're not going to walk across the desert unless you're droids. <laughs> you, you, are, you are correct. So, I mean, you know, Luke and Han on the open sail uh, barge platform. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. So, okay. I, it came well, from me. Of it, course it, it Of course it did. It came from you. So... <laughs> Height is is a key element that can add epicness and that Star Wars feel to your lo- to a locale. Dave, the second one, what would you consider that to be? Um, I would consider that to be motion. Mm-hmm. See, that's one that's there. There's a couple of things that I remember about key elements that have come into encounters that I remember and. One of them, of course, I keep going back to is when we were speeding across that lake with all the fishies that were going to eat us. Yes. And so the memory is the fact that we're fighting on things that are moving. Yes. And it is, it is terribly cinematic. Right. Um, either the encounter surface itself moves or has constantly moving things on it, uh, maybe moving cover, new areas that appear and disappear all around it. Right. Um, Re- remember Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting on Mustafar. Yes, precisely. Terrain constantly changing. Um, I think uh, I loved uh, the video game uh, Jedi, Knight, uh, Jedi Academy, Jedi Knight 3. Um, Jaden Core had this, this awesome level that was a race on top of a moving air tram that was hurtling through Nar Shaddaa with the, wind, with the rain pouring. Okay, and it was really cinematic and really cool. <clears throat> um, what else can you think of in terms of the films or, or the games where motion played an incredible amount uh, towards lending towards the, the Star Wars cinematic feel of the scene? Um. Other things that come to mind for me, um, on, uh, in episode uh, two, uh, when Padme and Anakin were on the factory the Oh, yeah, 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 the droid, the droid factory. Yes, absolutely. On Geonosis. I mean, you had all that stuff moving around and machine arms and stuff constantly moving to clamp them and bang them and stuff like that. I, I think that was just very Star Warsy, very epic. Even when uh, Grievous's ship lost power, you know, and they all oh, yeah, went and the, the down the elevator shaft and everything. Yes. Yeah, you know, I mean, another happy landing. And so, yeah. Absolutely. So... Key features here. I think motion can often be combined with height to a, to a good extent. 
Um, and I think the movement of the encounter area itself can present balancing challenges for PCs and NPCs alike. Do you two remember uh, in one of my alternate universe games where you guys had to jump out of a transport ship on top of an existing ship that was kind of shaped like a saucer on Cloud City? And as round by round went by, the ship began to tilt and Yeah, we had to make balance checks. I remember. That's right. You, know, you, know, like, you had to make acrobatics checks to keep balance. And if you failed, you had to make like a climb or a jump check to keep from falling off. Um, TG, if I recall correctly, your character pretty much went to the nearest thing and clung onto it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. So, I mean, that adds a whole new element to the scene. I mean, how, how cinematic was that, you know? It was cool. <clears throat> so, so there you go. But another thing I can highly recommend is an the ability to control movement can be extremely satisfying action for the PCs through the use of skills. So think back to the, uh, the, the factory floor on Geonosis. What if the party slicer could get to a nearby terminal and start slicing into it and controlling the movement of the robots, uh, robotic arms on the factory floor? Right. See, that's, that's what I'm saying is that the environment, the place that you're in is unique enough and provides opportunities for the uh, for the players to think creatively about how to manipulate their environment. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, scene. You know, R2 had to pretty much do that when Padme fell into the pot. That is a perfect example. I didn't even think about that. Um, you know, that's what he was doing. I mean, she, she was stuck in a situation where the movement of the locale was ha- severely hampering her, and another PC had to go in there and fit, save the day by, by halting the movement, by controlling it. Um, so, okay, t- talk to me about how we can add motion to, to, again, those four key locale areas in Star Wars. Like, okay, a, a modern city, for example. Okay, so you're on Coruscant. What is an easy way to add movement to that locale? Think, Speeders. Think Anakin jumping out of the speeder. Yeah. <laughs> Precisely. Or Obi-Wan hanging onto the bottom of the, uh, the assassin droid. And then... You know, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, th- th- that's it. You guys hit the nail on the head. Speeders, trams, any modern city is going to be filled with them and encounters on top of them, terribly cinematic. Wonderfully cinematic. You know, Chris West has a, a series of those map tiles he sells that are kind of like a, a, a tram. And an encounter on top of a moving air tram, I think, is just a great call. Great idea. Very cinematic. Okay, TG. <laughs> what about a forest or a jungled area? How best to manage movement? I would say a rickety wood bridge, but I hate it. <laughs> I hate the bridge. But, oh, it, well, I'm thinking a tree can sway if it's tall enough. Yeah. You know, even if you have a platform up there, that that tree could be swaying on a really, really windy day. Um. You can be on a rock slab that's wrenched from a mountain and it's sliding down the side of the mountain. Okay, that is Earthquake or something like that, yeah. So you're on a stable platform, but it itself is getting rumbled and slid down the mountain. I mean, you could have, every round, you could have to dodge incoming rocks or other pieces of a landslide. Um, Constant balance checks to keep from getting thrown off. That's just, that's epic. Um. Dave, what about what about on a starship or when you're stuck inside of a building? I mean, 
Oh, here, here you've got, you know, if you want to redo the factory thing, that's fine. You yeah, know, there's lots of true. lots of moving parts and stuff. And, uh, you know, you could also you could also incorporate elevators, you know, open, ele- you know, I, to, to use a lack of a better term, you know, just like flat hover cars that go from level to level down some giant shaft. Ah, you said you're thinking of that encounter we ran in uh, in the, the all, New all you, yeah, exactly. So you can you can move up and down and along the floor and fight on these on these uh, on these little floating cars and then even use them as weapons. So I think that's a I think that's a great idea. You know, if you have uh, oftentimes in enclosed spaces, you have technological solutions that allow you to have movement, whether it be a a series of rail cars that are set into the wall or floating platforms that only go up and down. And if you've got a bunch of them. And it can all be controlled, uh, you know, providing different elevations or quick ways to move around the encounter area. That's just fun. Um, as far as desert areas go, that can be a bit tougher, but my brain tends to move towards, like, whirling sandstorms. You know what I mean? I mean, having a, a lightsaber duel in the middle of a raging sandstorm is pretty wicked. Swoop, um, a swoop gang that you're chasing and fighting along the way. Dude, that's epic. Um, I think also desert-like worlds or backwater worlds are also where you're going to see a high likelihood of one of my favorite RPG tropes, the gladiatorial combat arena or the the blood sport arena, whether you're fighting somebody else or you're fighting a rancor. Um, And I I love the idea of putting, TG, to your earlier point about about giving the PCs that creative movable cover, um, what a great place to do that. I can totally see some sadistic games master putting all this cover in the arena and having it be movable so it's constantly shifting and moving and changing and, and rolling around you know what i mean yeah um maybe a pc could get to a terminal and control it themselves what a great idea yep. so yep. okay so height and motion very important the third element to really kind of discuss for what we consider to be epic locales uh, for your scenes uh, Dave is going to be what? Hazards. Better yet, deadly hazards. Yes. I think this could be tricky to pull off, but I think it's, um, I think it's essential to really cinematic scenes. Hey, desert, uh, sarlacc, mustafar, lava. Yes, just having an area that's this massive, massive hazard. Um, you know, um, now, TG, as far as key features of a deadly, deadly hazard, what are a couple things that I th- you think, I mean, do, the, the GM should probably really keep in mind? Well, it should affect the NPCs as well as the PCs. Very true. Because otherwise you're just going to piss some people off, and that's <laughs> not fun. <laughs> yeah, like a, like a Sith that only attacks certain NPCs. Yes. Well, I mean, no, that's, it's a good point. You know, uh, it's, you know, the... The lava was as much a danger to Obi-Wan as it was to Anakin. Okay? Right. The Sarlacc was going after Boba Fett and Han and Luke and Lando. So, you know, there's yeah. that. And it's got to be something, it's deadly, so you cannot defeat it. You can't make a skill check to shut it off. Can't kill it. It's there. You just have to avoid it. Or Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I think that's the big difference between a regular just hazard you put in your encounter and what I would consider to be a deadly hazard 
scenic feature. Ah, right. Large reactor leak, very dangerous. <laughs> yes, <laughs> precisely. Large reactor leak, very dangerous. So, okay, let's let's fit this into our our four scenic areas here. Um, fitting deadly hazard into a modern city area. Um, fall off the building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, this is one of those cases where height can serve as both. Um, or if you're on top of a building, depending on what kind of building, there could be pipes that come out that that release deadly toxic fumes or gas, mm. and you have to avoid it. That's yeah. that's also very creative. I like like I keep thinking about that scene from episode two where they fly too close to the power converter. Power converter. Um, I can just see this massive fight taking place, like on top of an industrial power converter, which you know one misstep and it's waiting to zap the unwary. Oh, uh, it's like Tango and Cash. Yes, <laughs> Tash and Gang Tango, Cash and Tango, Tango and Cash. Uh, so there is there is that. Um, okay, what about a forest or a jungle? This can be a little more a little more tough. Man eating um, plants. <laughs> <laughs> Man-eating plants. So creatures, wildlife. Yeah, yes. that's what you've got. You know, I mean, I, I think, I think, I think wildlife is probably the most common way to do that. You know, I, I can see the heroes like crashing through a, a cave and ending up in the middle of like on a rocky precipice that overlooks a den of Nexu. Okay, and if they fall, they're going to get eaten alive by a thirty, you know, slavering Nexu that are constantly jumping up to try and bite them too. Um, what about oh, water huh? running, running river? You know, freezing oh, that river takes you to a, like a waterfall, and you're dead. That's a really good idea. So, I mean, one misstep, and you're you're toast. You got this river waiting to just scoop you up. Toast. Um, toast. I don't think rivers are used often enough in Star Wars. Toast. It doesn't. It doesn't come in a lot. I mean, it really so Maybe it's maybe it's not. You can turn it into Star Warsy, but. I'd probably be a little reluctant to be, even though I suggested it, to use rivers, just because you don't see it a lot in the movies. No, you don't. So, okay, starships and buildings. I got one word for you guys. And you know I love it. Reactors. Mm-hmm. It's like you said earlier, Dave. Yes. Rea- reactor leak, very large. Got to lock it down. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, even if you're... Not necessarily that you're fighting inside a starship, but if you are flying a starship, this scene can become cinematic. Um, what? Where was it? I guess we were on Cloud City. We weren't necessarily in a starship, but we were in a flying vehicle, and you, we had clouds. We had pipes that were coming out of the ground that were spewing um, gas. Oh, there you're, th- was you're a thinking dead this. ship that? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, that's that's right. So I mean. Natural hazards can still be there um, in in a starship. I mean, like you say, deadly gas, uh, exhaust, fumes, um, deadly radiation, um, electrical discharge from exposed wiring, or or again, reactor cores, things of that nature. Uh, what about desert areas, guys? Yeah, wildlife again. You know, quicksand. Hey, Ooh. there you go. Yeah. That's a really good option. I mean, you one one misstep and you're sucked up, man. 
Uh, and the thing about quicksand is you usually can't really see or tell that it's quicksand until somebody steps in it. So then not only do you have to avoid it, but one of your party members has stepped in it, so you got to save them while fighting off the baddies. Oh, That's a great see, idea. look at that. You should be a gem. Uh, I just want to keep telling her. <laughs> Um, That's so, right. okay, not not so much sandy desert, but like other des- desert, w- deserted worlds, you know, rocky worlds or stuff like that. I like I would consider Hoth to be in the same category. Oh or yeah, Mustafar. yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so I mean, massive natural hazards like blizzards. So lava. devoid of plant life, basically. Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, um, I mean, like, but I mean, massive blizzards, lava. What about an ice world where a fight on a frozen lake? That's cool. Yeah. See, that's and cool. it starts to crack, it starts crack. crack yeah. underneath your feet. Yes. So, I mean, something like that could be very epic and very Star Wars. The Sith submarine comes up from bomb below. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is the Red October. The Red October, not that kind of Red October. Well, that would be the Blue November. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so three key elements. Height motion and deadly hazards that are not, not specific to an exact locale that can be creatively added to any locale and that's kind of the point here you you do not need um uh cancer collector you do not need a list of really cool locations all you need is a list of a location elements and those elements can be added to any location to give it a super cinematic star warsy feel but I don't think it's enough, guys, to just do that. I think no. you have to, to ensure that your players remember the feeling. Um, ensuring that it stays with your players during the encounter. You know, the best way i found that makes a scene memorable for me is when the GM uses extremely descriptive language, which is very detailed to paint the picture. Yeah. Of what the scene looks like, the colors, the smells, the you know, the touch and the feel and yeah, don't just draw air, it on the battle everything. map. Yeah, don't just draw it on the battle map. Describe it and all. say, well, here's here's a rock and there, there's a tree and then here's a platform. Oh, and here's some lava that you don't want to fall into. That's not going to do it for me. You need to explain the scene. How is everything interacting together? How is how are these colors melding together? And just ma- paint, paint, make it look like a movie. No, with your words. Not every GM is 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 a Tolkien, is a a descriptive storyteller of of high caliber. For those who may be a little uncomfortable with this, and even those who are extremely comfortable with this, a good recommendation I would have in the, along these lines are it, jot down a few descriptive lines in your notes uh, and read it at the start of the encounter to convey the meaning of the scene. Jot down two or three. You know, great sounding descriptive sentences that will get that feeling across to the players. And remember to reassert those lines at the start of the encounter and read them off. Yeah. Yeah, as things change, things are moving around and, you know. Yeah. Well, okay, now that brings up another point, Dave. I I think another key thing you have to do is to reassert the scene Um, after every single round. I think it's imperative to, to reassert that descriptive stance. Sure. So, I mean, at the start of the initiative count, remind the players exactly what's going on. Uh, 
just to keep that cinematic feeling fresh, you know? So, okay, the, the last guy in the initiative count just went, and it's, all right, the second stormtrooper goes down. Um, at this point, the rain is picked up. You can barely see. The wind is racing past you as the tram hurtles on through the night, and you struggle to keep hold as the Inquisitor approaches his red lightsaber glaring. Now, Dave, your character's up. And... Battle strike. Charge. Yeah. But, I mean, do, doing something like that at the end of each round to reassert the cinematic cinema in, in the minds of the players, to put those 3D glasses on and make it pop, to, make the, to remind them of the scene they are in, that it's not just minis in a map. Right. So, now, uh, I want to close do this conversation. This, you don't want to do this every single time, do you? <laughs> You've read my mind, dude. I, I, I want to close off by talking about that. So, okay, doing this descriptive talk, do you really want to do this for every single encounter in the session? No, I mean, maybe to, once. I think to some degree session. I would like a little, you know, I, I want setting and all that, but for a big scene like that that I'm going to remember, we might have one of those every, every time we get together. Maybe one. Yes. Right. I mean, if it's a super long session, maybe a couple. But I agree. I think you guys are right. I think should limit it to about once a session as a general rule um you know and make that your best set piece make it the final battle or the boss fight you know the the ultimate remembered encounter you know um do you guys think it's possible to overdo this oh hell yeah i mean i mean even even if you're only doing it once a scene just you know yeah, if you try to throw everything in there at once and then on top of that 20 stormtroopers if you're level 20 pcs Okay, maybe it's not a big deal, but if you're level four, no, the, you gotta you gotta make it reasonable to what your characters are, what your players are, what level they're at, and think about how it could be challenging. Because for goodness sakes, if you look at the movies, usually if they've got these challenges of the locale, it's a challenging location, challenging scene. There's not a whole lot of uh, other threats involved. Mm, That's a right. very good point. I mean, when you, th- when you think of these epic battles taking place in the film, there's it's like, what, one bad guy? Two bad guys, maybe? Yeah. Um, so maybe treat each of the different threats as if they're another NPC. So if you've got lava, track it as if it's an NPC, essentially. Oh. Or treat it that way in your head. It's another threat. Well, right. th- No, that's an excellent suggestion because, I mean, we've talked about this before. As a GM... You know, you you have an upper limit of how many things you can track at one time, okay? Like, personally, I can't deal with more than eight threats on the board. It just, for me, it just becomes cumbersome at that point, okay? I would, to, to use your line, TG, I would treat this as a threat. I would treat it as an NPC. So if I had the lava and the height and the massive movement, well, that would be me just personally. I'd want to get down to around four or five NPCs on the board, Um just in terms of what I would keep track of. No, that's that's yeah. a great idea. I think it's good, too. Of course, if you have lava, as long as you have Tommy Lee Jones, you can get over it. This is true. Television has taught me well. Yeah. But I think the the end statement for that, in terms of is, is every scene an epic scene, at the single point, you make the scene too complicated. It's not worth it. Right. I don't care how epic it is. I don't care how cool it is. If you're going to have trouble tracking it, or if you see that it becomes an issue to track as you're playing, it's not worth it. And and another important thing is the elements you put in there need to be appropriate for the story. You can't just throw something in there to make it more challenging for the characters. 
correct. It needs to be fitting to the storyline that the PCs are following. Just like the scene on Mustafar, that the lava was pivotal. Pivot. I can't say that word. Pivotal uh, to the storyline and what happened in the future. You know, so it was. Now, I think you can add any of the three location elements we've discussed to nearly any encounter, regardless of where it takes place and where you are in the story. But you are correct, TG. There's some things that can go a little too far. You know, you know, we're, we're chasing down a hut on Nar Shada, and you know, oh, we chase him back to his personal palace on his private moon, and it's on top of a giant lake of lava. <laughs> you, you reach a you reach a point where it's almost contrived, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think that would be a major patfall to avoid. Yes. So, so very nice, Kenzer Collector. Thank you for the email. Um, and uh, if you guys have any requests or suggestions for show discussion topics, we have a lot on the docket, but we still have a lot more shows to make, and we want to know what you would like to hear. So get over to the D20 Radio forums at d20radio.com/forum. Head to the Order 66 boards and let us know, or shoot us an email if you're so bold. Bold. GM Chris at d20radio.com. GM Dave at d20radio.com. Tweet at goodness at google.com. <laughs> that, that's not right. <laughs> on. Oh dear. Beautiful. Uh, well, thank you all for tuning in to this scatterbrained and uh, a super fun episode. It You're was. welcome. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. We Man, uh, we had some great we had some great fight downs today. Yeah. <laughs> we will have no post show today we've got some other stuff but that's okay and join us next sunday we're gonna have a special surprise ah yes indeed i believe that we will have a special surprise in the form of uh, a special guest darth vader secret apprentice and 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 proxy a proxy! Oh, words. Yes, it's exciting. <sighs> so it's going to be good. But keep your eyes glued to the forums. Gamer Nation lets you know the when and the where. And yep. thank you once again. Thank you to my co-hosts, GM Dave and TJ. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good evening. And uh, keep them dice rolling, please. And make sure you Google them. <laughs> good call. Greetings, GMs Dave and Chris. I am Darth Pseudonym, welcoming you to the dark side of your hundredth episode. Now give in to your hate. Only then will I begin to listen to the Order 66 podcast. Oh yes, and hey to TG. D20 Radio, where gamers roll www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all main pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related websites, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast.
wait, 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 wait. I thought you said we we're going to have a post show. Well, I decided that I have like five minutes. You Do guys you have something specific you wanted to talk about? Um, not really. Well, I have a suggestion then. Okay. Do you remember how on episode 100 we had the whole ask the host thing? Yeah. And we only got through about half of the questions? Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. Hey, we can do some of those. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, there was this really good question that was posted by this one poster named, um, um, what was her name? Twila Twi-like Goodness. Goodness. Yeah. Uh, she answer hers. Ask. I think we should... I think we should go for the next in line, quite frankly. Ask uh-huh. the hosts, huh? Wow, this has exploded. Holy cow, I didn't even see how, how crazy this has gotten. Cool. It, it's, it, it's, it's gotten quite, quite explosive. Wow. Um, just, just so I can... That's what she said. <laughs> All right, so uh, Revan II asked us, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the worst, 10 being the best, how awesome do you think y'all are? We've already answered this. We did? Yes, yes, remember? I said on the scale of 1 to 10, I'm the shizzle. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that's fine. Okay. We also answered Cyril's questions. We also answered Revan II's next question, and Shadow Stars, who would you most like to remove from Star Wars canon? The answer was Jar Jar. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Oh. I, th- I think we started up with... Oh, Steel. yeah, what are we going to remove? That's right, that's right, that's right. Three. In- <laughs> so, favorite not Star Wars RPG? Ooh. What is your Steel favorite in- not Star Wars RPG? Wow, that's really tough. Um, probably, um, wow. Probably Spirit of the Century, quite frankly. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, right behind that would be a tie for 3rd and 4th edition D&D. I would go Mouse Guard. You haven't played it yet. Well, that's because oh, I, I, read, I read about it and I think I like it already. I know, dude. TG got it for me for my birthday. Yeah. I want to play it so bad. I can just, I can spit. But, uh, dude, I, I, once I once I play it, I might, I might change my. Yeah, we need to go. We need to go for Mouse Guard big time. I'm down for it. Yeah. TG, favorite non Star Wars RPG? Uh, I don't know. I would, I would say Star Trek, but I've never played it, and the system seems not as enjoyable as Saga system. But the setting for me is just yeah, kills it. Arch- Um, Well, I don't know if you two are going to be able to answer this question too much because I know you guys haven't done much official play, but Steelwind's next question was your favorite RPG module of all time. Dawn of Defiance. Uh, Yeah, which one? (laughs) The whole, all of them, all ten of them. (laughs) So, there you go. TG, any thoughts on that? No, I can't really answer that. Dude, I got to go old school. Uh, Tomb of Horrors, man. So okay, um, uh, yeah, that's it. Okay, uh, Chris West, the map maker himself, had some questions. Okay, uh, he wants to know: Do you personally feel that Lucas or a successor should make the fabled episodes seven, eight, and nine? Uh, he can be the visionary, but somebody else needs to make it. Make it. Fair enough. What do you guys say? Uh, I I think he should have a little bit of hand in it, because then I don't think it would be Star Wars. Yeah, he makes it. He makes it Star Wars, where I think other people wouldn't. They would try to change it. Yeah, okay. that's my thinking. Yeah, I agree with that. 
Okay, my opinion, I don't care if ALF directs these darn things. It's Star Wars. Make some more movies. Good gravy. All right, so his next question is right there. Is, is how would you feel if someone tried to do a reboot of, of Star Wars like they did with Star Trek? Do you think Lucas would Star- ever let that happen? Lucas no, he never let it happen. And for Star Trek, it could work, but it won't work for Star Wars. Too many people would be way too pissed. Anybody who tries to reboot Star Wars, uh-uh. Nope. There were a lot. There were a lot of Trekkies pissed off about the reboot from the film. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I don't think it messed as much with canon as it did as a reboot of Star Wars would. My, my thing is okay. Back to the episode seven, eight, and nine thing. Mark Hamill is old enough now to play an old. Luke. Yeah. 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 Okay, you could bring back original cast members. My concern about a seven, eight, nine is the stories have already been told. We already know what happens in that time period. So you're not writing anything fresh. You're not writing anything new. The the new Jedi Order novels have already been written. We already know what happens. Right. So that. So how many movies have been made from books? A lot, but that's not Lucas's forte. Yeah, that's not his. Yeah, that's why somebody else would probably have to do it. But. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jawas Ain't My Jedi asks, what's your current favorite TV shows? Spartacus. O-M-G. Yeah, Spartacus Blood and Sand is pretty rocking. Uh, Dexter. Um, yes, Dexter. Dexter's really good. Um, I've become a huge fan of Homes on Homes. <laughs> yeah. Now that we buy a home, yeah. Now that, now, that we're, now that we're getting a new house again, it's like, okay, yeah. Nice. And then uh, anything on like Discovery, HGTV... Um, TLC. Well, you don't like TLC. <laughs> Multiples and midgets. That's all it is. If I it's have more than one true. kid or I, I'm a midget, I can get a show on TLC. Right. <laughs> NCIS for me is pretty much where it begins and ends. You like NCIS? Yep. We also watch a lot of Family Guy and Futurama, anything almost on Adult Swim. Yeah, we're big Teen Hunger Force. Big and Adult Swim watchers. Robot Chicken, yeah. Beautiful. Oh, hey, Chris West had one other question. I think we skipped over it. I, I do want to answer it because I, I want, I'm, I'm curious to know what you guys think. Taken for granted, Star Wars is your favorite movie franchise ever. What's your second runner-up or actual favorite for a movie franchise? I can tell you what Chris's is. For a franchise? That's what he says. So that I would can be tell multiple. You what that is. would be multiple movies, right? Well, or yeah. single. Just tell us what your favorite is. Well, Chris I, will be Godfather. Mm-mm. No. It's up. No. Well, it's up there. Dave, Dave, what are you doing? Shawshank. Mm, good movie. TG, what about you? So are we saying movie series or movie? Either. Well, The Evening Star, which is... Steel Magnolia's yep. sequel. Yeah. that Because that, that's a series. But my favorite movie ever, Forrest Gump. And then... I don't know. There's... God, there's a lot. There are. Um, the Godfather 1 and 2 would probably be up there for me. That's one of my favorite films of all time. Um, and then after that, probably Lord of the Rings, as we're t- talking about a real franchise here. Yeah, Lord of the Rings is good, too. You know, Star yeah, Wars yeah. is right up there. Lord of the Rings is right up there. Shawshank is still my favorite movie. Probably ever. Blindside is a great movie, too, um, the, the, you know, that I remember. And, and I'm really looking forward to Tron at the end of the year this year just to see, oh, see what they God, do. Oh, God, yes. See what they do. God, it, but. God, yes. My favorite, my favorite single film of all time is Casablanca. Ah, yes. Yep. I'm sitting here staring at the movie poster we have framed in here. Oh, yeah. yes. It. Clue is another one of my favorite movies. I can watch that movie 
over and over and over again. <laughs> That's a, I it's do. A, it's a funny. It's a funny <laughs> awesome. movie. Dante's Peak was. Uh... <laughs> I'll hit you. <laughs> All right. Well, okay, Gamer Nation, keep the, keep uh, asking on Ask the Hosts, and we'll we'll try to get to a few of these with the uh, little abbreviated post shows that we do have, or uh, even if we have an abbreviated post show like this, we'll get to a few questions and longer post shows. We'll do more, but uh, unfortunately, this is all the time I have, and uh, we've got to go shopping for dresses for Taylor for tonight. So, Aww. yes, yeah, Daddy Warbucks. Uh, well, Daddy No Bucks. That's me. <laughs> Good night, Gamer Nation. Good night. And we will actually uh, wrap this show up with a new Kyle Mason, I think. Is uh he's a this is a one of our D20 radio contributors that is that is like putting together a series of shorts um for a scoundrel that he is um like doing a character diaries of. So we'll do the first entry of the diary. And we'll see you guys next week for show number 103. Entry one. I hope I know what I'm doing. Without a steady income, things were rougher than I expected. I finally got my hands on a ship, and at a good price, because some of the electrical is in less than ideal condition. It's a small shuttle, but for what I want to do, it should suffice. Now, I've never done this kind of repair before, but the engineer in me keeps saying, how hard could it be? Huh. <laughs> That's probably something I'll regret saying. Of course, there's also the matter of bantha dung in the hold. I mean, a bantha wouldn't even fit on the ship. Come on! Makes me wonder about the previous owner. Anyway, that's something that should probably be professionally cleaned. Once all that is taken care of, I've got to find my first job. A flood of people have been leaving recently, and I bet I can find someone looking to get to... wherever, cheap. If my budget is right... I should have enough provisions to get me through until then. Call Mason, signing off. Oh, by the way, uh, Old School says that France has now closed its border to you as well, Chris, for that rant. <laughs>